Amen. That was incredible. Good morning, everyone. And as has been said, welcome to church. It's great to be together. I'd like to, before I begin, just uh, welcome a very special couple who is here all the way from the greater Baltimore church, their disciples in Baltimore, uh, Faith's parents, Beth and Jeremy Fender. Bender, Bender, not Fender, yeah, Bender. It's great to have you guys here with us. As uh, some of you know, it is December. Hello, we're here and we're doing it. I can't believe it's December 11th. But as, uh, as many of us are kind of figuring out the end of you know, quarter four, finishing our, our years at work and with family, our campus students are in something called finals, right? And the Bible says if you, you know, rejoice, to, you know, one person rejoices, we all rejoice together. One person is, is mourning, we all mourn together. One person is studying, we all study together, right? So as our students are taking finals, I'd like to bring a little final test to the church this morning. That sound good? Welcome to Bible 101, and I am your instructor, Matt Ruper. Here we go. If you got the answer, go ahead and shout it out. Oldest person in the Bible, Methuselah. Nice, right? Methuselah. How old was he? 969. Wow. You guys are very impressive. I love that. All right, here's one. How many books are in the Bible? 66. How many are in the Old Testament? Nice. How many are in the New Testament? 27. All you got to do is some math right there. 66 minus 39. 15th book of the Old Testament. 15th. Not Obadiah. Ezra. Yeah. Come on, Bree. Bonus points for my wife. All right. Name one of the women that financially supported Jesus in his ministry. Mary. Anybody else? Uh, yeah, well, I guess for open the home to her financially supported Mary, Joanna, Susanna, right? There you go. Martha too. That counts. Love that. All right. So why do we do this, right? When we come together as a church, the bedrock of, of what we do, what we think from the first moment that we really went after our relationship with God, we all came together and decided, hey, I can't do this based on he said, she said. I need to figure out what God's word says and learn how to align my life with his word. And in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16, as we're studying this out, 1 Timothy 4, verse 16, in the ESV translation, Paul says to Timothy, keep a close watch on yourself and on your teaching. Persist, persist in this. For by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. And I love that Paul tells Timothy. Timothy is a very respect, respectable person. But Paul needs to tell him, keep a close watch. Keep focused. Watch your life and what you believe. Watch what you do and watch what you believe. What are some things that you have to keep close watches on? Your language. Yeah. Your kids. Right? You got to keep a close watch of your pets. You got to keep a close watch of your finances. Why? Because very easily all those things can go astray. And just like our relationship with God, if we don't keep a close watch on what we believe and on what we do, what's it going to do? It's going to go astray. 
And so we keep a close watch. And this isn't just for our own sakes. This is for the sakes of, of those who we're trying to help and influence as well. It is so easy. Just like it says in, uh, in Hebrews, it's so the sin that so easily entangles. It's so easy for us to get distracted, to get focused on other things, but miss the things that are most important. And so together as a church, as we're focusing on growing and maturing and thriving to become who it is God made us to be, we need to focus on and remember what's most important. Amen? In, uh, in, in the 1400s and 1500s, the Byzantine Empire, maybe you think Constantinople, right? Maybe you've heard of that. If not, welcome to the club, right? No big deal. So Constantinople is where modern-day Turkey is now. And the Byzantine Empire was the kind of the powerhouses of Europe. They dominated most of Europe. But the reason we don't know about them a whole lot anymore was because in 1453, they were being attacked by the Ottoman Empire. And even though the city of Constantinople was among the most fortified cities to exist, their walls were impenetrable, right? 20 feet thick walls. You could not get through the walls of Constantinople where the, B the Byzantine Empire was really centered. But the fighting persisted. The fighting persisted. And, the, and as the battle raged on, the Ottomans made a surge against the Byzantine Empire, and they wound up winning the battle. And it destroyed and collapsed the Byzantine Empire. Now, anybody who was part of the Byzantine Empire at the time, who, who then survived, how? We were impenetrable. Our, our walls were so fortified. We had the archers on the roof. We were going to survive. After doing some digging, they realized that although the walls were so impenetrable, the front door was left open. The gate was let down. And so as the fighting happened from all different angles, the Ottoman Empire walked through the front door and destroyed them from the inside. That's crazy. And now we know nothing about them anymore. I say that to say, as we're thinking about our relationships with God, and this, again, this is no judgment, this is no comment on anybody. I just know for myself and for all of us, it's so easy to go astray. It's so easy to let the front door down. Hey, I'm here at church on Sunday, I'm fortified right? I go to my small group and family group. I read my Bible. I pray. I go and have phone calls with disciples. I do all the things that fortify my walls. But if you go back to the gate, are you still hearing God's word and obeying it? Are you still listening to Jesus and allowing his word to have the authority in your life like you first did when you followed him? Now, working with college students, us college students are not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. I don't want to glorify young disciples and say they are the ones that hold to God's word no matter what. No, they don't, okay? We're working on it. But that's something that we all need to continue to fight for and remember is, hey, God's word will always be enough. And throughout Scripture, we see multiple instances of things that amazed Jesus things that concerned Jesus, but holding to his word is of his top priority. It's something that he respects and loves so much. Why? 
Because the word of God is the sword that cuts out sin, that cuts out and changes us. If I were to ask you to go chop down your Christmas tree and gave you a steak knife versus a chainsaw, what would you take? God's word, when it comes to our character, is the chainsaw of our transformation. God's word is what bolsters and strengthens the shield that comes against the flaming arrows of Satan. God's word is what God is going to use when we arrive on judgment day and said, do you know this? Have you aligned yourself with me? God's word is the basis. It is the first step, as it says in John 38, John 8, 31 and 32. It is the first step to truth and freedom. God's word is something we so basically need to hold on to. And as we look at throughout the Gospels, Jesus had two things to say when it came to people and holding to his word. He either said, whoa, whoa, this needs to change, or whoa, this guy's got it. This girl's got it. And when it comes to our faith, we want to have the faith where God goes, that's my girl. That's my guy. Whoa. I love where he's at. I love the way he's thinking or she's thinking. That's amazing. And so we see a couple of examples of this. The first is in Mark chapter six. In Mark six, verse one, Jesus has the, whoa, this is not good approach when it comes to him and his word. In Mark chapter six, verse one, Jesus left there and went to his hometown accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this, this man get these things, they asked? What's this wisdom that has been given to him? What are these remarkable miracles he's performing? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? Aren't, and they took offense at him. Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own town, among his relatives and his own home. He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their lack of faith. Then Jesus went around teaching from village to village. He left there and went to different villages because it wasn't working in his hometown. So Jesus, as he goes home to his people, he sees his neighbors and his, his aunties and uncles. He sees everybody, and he begins sharing what he's been sharing for five chapters in, in, in uh, Mark already. He's been sharing the good news and telling them. And although they hear it, and they're surprised, they're amazed, they begin explaining away why his words don't need to be applied to them. Yeah, I mean, that, that's great and all. But where do you come from? We know your mom. It was actually an insult during that time uh, to recognize and say that it was Mary's son instead of Joseph's son. And so they, they're all immediately disrespecting Jesus. They say, we know you. We know where you're from. We changed your diapers, right? Some of you have said that to me. Been here for a while. We changed your diapers. And they go, yeah, not thanks, but no thanks. And Jesus has a hard time blessing and working in that territory as a result. They didn't take him at his word. 
but instead looked for loopholes and excuses and reasons why they didn't need to apply it to their lives today. You ever do that? I know I do that. I go, share my faith? Like, <laughs> I mean, I need to help myself right now. Help somebody else? Forget about it. Give contribute. Contrib do you know how much Christmas gifts cost? You know, and when I think about loving my, my neighbor, there are people, I'm sure you have them too. Forgive those who, for, you know, who've hurt you. Love your enemy. I go, no, thank you. And I go, well, maybe when they apologize to me, I'll forgive them. Maybe when they X, Y, and Z, then I will. And we put conditions and limits on God's word. I know I've done it. I think we have too. And that's that thing we have to be careful of is we so can easily be led astray. So watch carefully, watch closely your life. But then we see the woe. Then we see the opposite side where Jesus is amazed by the faith of someone. And it's actually not a Jew. It's not someone within their community. It's an outsider. In Luke chapter seven, verses uh, six on, a centurion has a servant who is sick. And this is a Roman centurion. This is a non-Jew. This is someone who's only watched Judaism and Jesus from a distance. But he learned the facts and that was all he needed. He heard, hey, there's this guy, Jesus. I got to figure out what's going on here. And so he sends his servants to invite Jesus to heal uh, his other servant. And in verse six, we pick up and it says, he was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word. Let me hear you say, say the word, but say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him. And turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. Then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. What a great story. Here's a stranger to the community that comes in and hears Jesus is this awesome miracle worker. Jesus is capable of amazing things. He's healed. He's done this. He's done that. I look at the facts. I look at the figures. Give him a call. Can you come heal my servant? In fact, I know you can come heal my servant. Servant, Just say the word. As a person of authority, I tell someone to do this, and they do it because I have the power. I recognize, Jesus, you have that same power, and what you say will come to fruition. Just say the word. And Jesus grabs this guy and says, hey, everybody, he's got it. This is what I'm looking for. I'm not looking for explanations. I'm not looking for excuses. I'm not looking. I'm just looking for you to trust me and trust my word, trust my power, trust that what I say is enough. And he lifts them up. And as, we're, as we, brothers and sisters, friends, as we're looking to grow in our relationship with God, more and more as we strive towards maturity, we want to have a heart that reflects this, this uh, 
the centurion. We want to have a heart that just says, you know what? I'm not going to color code it. I'm not going to try and explain away. I'm not even going to use my past experiences to explain why this doesn't work in my life. This scripture doesn't work in my life. Jesus says, just take my word, hold to it, and obey it. Amen? I want to close out here with three scriptures that I think as we're coming into the holiday season, as many of us are about to spend a lot more time with our family, <laughs> as many of us are you know, navigating the holidays and whatnot, three scriptures that I hope that each of us can wrestle with and maybe write down because you need to wrestle with it later, but three scriptures that are powerful enough to take Jesus at his word and to trust. Scriptures where you could just say, Jesus, say the word and that's enough. I will obey. The first scripture, you guys with me? The first scripture is in John chapter 15, verse five. This is Jesus speaking, John 15, verse five. The Bible reads, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do a few things. Oh, sorry, sorry. You can do nothing. Jesus says it. Jesus says it for himself, and then Jesus says it for us. He goes, guys, girls, remain in me. Remain close to me. Be fixated in me, because on your own strength and on your own power, you can do nothing. I go, well, Jesus, I haven't remained in you, and I haven't been close to you, and I've done something. I don't know if this scripture, no. Jesus says, apart from me, nothing, not one thing. And it's a choice that each of us have to make to say, God, I trust that if the laborers build the house without you, the laborers labor in vain. God, if I am not involving and imploring the creator and the designer of the universe into the problems and the situations in my life, Nothing will change. You know, we learn in, in uh, I believe it's in James 4, 7, that God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. I think it's one of the greatest dangers that we face as disciples when we are proud and blessed because we no longer rely desperately on our king. But where we ought to be is that God, apart from you, I've got nothing. I don't read my Bible because I have to. I don't read my Bible or pray because someone in my life team is going to ask me, did you have your quiet time today? I don't do that because there's some sort of, ex I do that because God, if I'm not close to you, I am utterly helpless. And so we approach God in prayer and in reading, in our spiritual disciplines, just trying to get as in the fold with him as possible. And what's amazing is that when we do that, whether good immediately results or things go from where it's at to worse, we trust that, hey, as long as I'm partnered with God, this ship is going in the right direction. And so each of us just say the word, Lord, apart from you, I can do nothing. I need your word. I need intimacy with you. I need closeness to you. All right, so that's number one. You guys still with me? That's good to know. All right. The second thing, and this is a great scripture, 
1 Corinthians 10, 13. Notice these scriptures aren't revolutionary or new to any of us. Some of us who've been around for 20, 30 years in the faith, you've heard these scriptures. You've used these scriptures upside the head with friends and family. But having these scriptures are like having a fortified wall. And if you don't obey it, it's like leaving your gate open. All right. And so we got to know the scriptures, but we got to hold to the scriptures. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation. Hallelujah. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. No temptation has overtaken you except what others have experienced as well. And God will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are capable of handling. You realize that God, when you are about to be tempted, God stands there and filters your temptation. He goes, oh, you know what? She can't handle this one. Not right now, but she can't handle this. Well, God, why are you making me suffer? Because I want you to be developed. And so God is there standing at the cusp determining and filtering whether you can handle it or not, and nothing gets through God's gate. He goes, that struggle, that temptation with purity is not beyond your ability to, to deal with and say no to. That, that person that is so hard to love is not beyond your ability to love. God will never, ever give you something beyond what you're able to handle. Instead, he'll provide a way out. The old NIV used to say, uh, he will provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. I love that imagery. I think of like one of those large boulders that are about to crush me. But instead of it crushing me, I catch it and I flex on it. I go, I can handle it. God will never give us something beyond we can handle, beyond what we can handle, but instead will give us opportunities to endure and hold it up from underneath it. I struggled when I was in high school with this thought. I was a teen disciple and I was wrestling with my relationship with God. And I, I just remember it was, I mean, you guys I'm sure can all relate. It's like 11 o'clock, you're not thinking straight, right? And then it was midnight, I'm still not thinking straight. I'm having all these crazy, and, and I remember feeling like, man, if X, Y, and Z were to tempt me right now, I cannot say no. Physically, I am unable to say no to that temptation. And I started freaking out. I'm like, if, if I can't say no, I'm cooked. I can't be a disciple of Jesus. I have to be able to fight against the sins and the temptations. And so I call one brother. I call another brother. Mind you, I'm like 16 years old. I'm calling Larry Craig at midnight, right? I mean, I'm like, somebody help me. Somebody, I need help, right? And then Bobby Ritter was on some crazy sleep schedule where I knew he was gonna be awake at 2 a.m. And so I call Bobby Ritter and I go, Bobby, Listen, if this person does this to me, I, I'm done. I, I don't know if I can fight it. What, what would you recommend? And he goes, Matt, no temptation is overtaking you except what you can handle. You can always say no. And this scripture wasn't common to me. He showed me the scripture and I was mind blown. It was so refreshing to remember that every impulse for anger, every impulse for hostility, every impulse for lust, every impulse for cheating or whatever that might be, if it comes through my head, I can say no to. And you can say no to as well. 
And that's so empowering. So when it says, just say the word, God, if I can handle it, I will fight. And because I can handle it, I will fight. Amen. Lastly, and this is, this is so important because we know that the, the relationship we have with God in this journey is not a short one. It's a long one. And it's often outside of our, our constraints of time and understanding. Douglas Jacoby said that he no longer thinks in six months or years or two years. He now functions in decades. He says for God to really, the, the, the change and the tide of the Holy Spirit, I see him working in decades, not in months. I thought that was really perceptive. That was really interesting because I work in seconds. <laughs> I do this and this is going to happen this afternoon. No, God works long-term. But here's the promise that we have to hold to where we say, God, just say the word and that's enough for me. This is a familiar one. Galatians 6, verse 9. Paul says to the church in Galatia who need it. Paul says to the church in the Garden State Church who need it. Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong in the family of believers. What an amazing scripture. You know, we grow weary and we want to give up. But Paul says, do not grow weary. Do not throw in the towel. Do not give up because if you persevere, you will, not may, you will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, since we have the opportunity, let's love our friends and love our neighbors, especially those who are within the church. Some of us are waiting and have been waiting for a long time for the things that we hope God is going to give us. We've been waiting for a long time for family members to become Christians. We've been waiting for a long time, some for a spouse. We've been waiting for a long time. You fill in the blank what you're waiting for. I know what I'm waiting for, and I'm still waiting for it, okay? But what's amazing is that God says, if you persist and you continue to love and you continue to do good, you will be rewarded for your perseverance. Now, well, Matt, okay, so where's the reward? Where's the person? Where's this? Where's that? You know, it's interesting. Sometimes we pray for what we, we want, but it might not actually be what we need. But when we do persevere and we have faith and trust that I'm going to remain faithful to God despite the circumstances. I am not going to give up. I'm not going to throw in the towel. That thing that you're hoping will be your reward for perseverance, it may come. It may not come. But what will come is something even greater than that is your faith will be strengthened. You will be matured. You will be transformed. And then all of those side effects of who you loved and who you affected and who you strengthened because you didn't just wait for the thing to happen, you endured and stayed close to God will be worth, have been worth the wait. And so I don't say that to minimize anyone's struggle. Please understand that. But I say that to remind us that it is always worth persevering. It is never worth giving up. You know, this morning, we recognize the holidays are a tough time. It, it gives a lot, a lot of us time for introspection, which is a great thing. 
This also can be a dangerous thing sometimes with deep introspection. And as you're taking time this holiday, and I don't know who it is in the room, but if you're taking time this holiday and you go, I think this is going to be the last year that I'm faithful to Christ. I think this is it for me. I've tried. I've fought. It's hard. It's not. It's, it's honestly, my old life was easier. I implore you. God implores you. Do not give up. Do not give up. If you, if you, if you continue with help, with love, with perseverance, if you continue to remain close to your God, enduring with him, God will reward you with a harvest that is beyond our ability to understand. Please continue to fight. Get the help that you need to mature and to grow because God wants to transform you through those times. So brothers and sisters, we need to allow Jesus to just say the word. We need to allow him to say the word and without sugarcoating it, finding the loopholes. Some of us are lawyers in here, finding the loopholes and trying to find, well, this is a contingency plan. If this, then that. No, just say the word, God, and that's enough for me. I will obey. Let's close out together in prayer and we'll sing one more song before we close out. Our Father in heaven, we are so grateful for you. We're grateful for who you are, that you've brought us to this place and that you have plans for our future, plans that are beyond our ability to comprehend and understand. You have plans and we've seen you navigate us here and you will continue to bring us to new places. God, we're so grateful for your love, for your perseverance, and for your individualized plans for our development and our growth. There's not a hair that falls from our head that you're, you're not aware of. There's not a feeling or a tear that we cry that you don't know. You know us so intimately. Thank you for never giving us more than we can handle or bear. Thank you for always calling us to intimacy with you because we recognize that apart from you, we can do nothing. And Lord, help us persevere. Help us remain close to you and endure because we know that the reward, be it in heaven with you, will have always been worth the wait. We love you. In your son's name we pray. Amen.